Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and giving excerpts about the exceptional. Hosted by Audrey and I. Do. Sit back, relax, and I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. How's it everyone and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Digital with myself, Audrey Naidu. Marketers face a landscape disrupted by a pandemic, new business models, new applications of tech and the fallout of regulatory changes. As we prepare for 2022, we need to lead with insights and have a proper plan of action to drive growth and enhance consumer experience, which is the ultimate end goal. Today, we'll be talking to Musa Kalinga, Chief Future Officer of the House of Brave. Musa is an author of Ladders and Trampolines, marketer, brand communication specialist, writer and entrepreneur. He's a former head of digital marketing for NetBank and client partner for Facebook Africa. His passion is changing the communities we live in, African emerging markets and inspiring the youth through technology. How's it Musa? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks Audrey. It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. No, we appreciate your time. Uh, Musa, you are our first author on the podcast, so which is really amazing. Why don't you tell our listeners what inspired you to write your book? With pleasure, with pleasure. Firstly, I feel very uh, honored to be your first author on the podcast. Um, and uh, and my book, well, I wrote a book called Ladders and Trampolines um, close to nine or ten years ago. Uh, it was at an interesting inflection point in my life. Um, I had just... Uh, started uh, working for a company, small blue company that used to be called Facebook. Um, and, uh, and during my tenure at that company, there was quite a lot of things that I experienced from a um, not only work perspective, but also global exposure, um, new teams, ETC. And I kind of felt like I needed to capture a lot of that, um, not only for myself, but for you know prosperity. You know, I thought there was going to be a lot of people that could learn from some of the thinking um, that came from working in a tech giant of that nature. Uh, secondly, I uh, at that stage I just had my 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 son, my first child, um, and similarly, I thought it would be nice for him to know what was going through my my brain at that point in my life. One of the things that I'd always had a little bit of a challenge with is, uh, you know, my dad had lived such a wonderful um, and colorful life, and uh, you know, as you get older, you forget some of these things. So I really just wanted to capture that, and hopefully, in my own little way, inspire uh, young Africans uh, wherever they are. So the book is really all about. Uh, effectively understanding decision-making frameworks, uh, one being a ladder, the other being a trampoline, um, and being able to almost get uh, the license to be able to use them when you need to use them. A ladder is incremental in nature, and a trampoline is exponential in nature. So um, I used a lot of my own experiences and stories to uh, tell the, the anecdotes around ladders and trampolines. Well, I'm definitely going to have to read that book, Musa. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, so you mentioned you were a, a client partner at Facebook. Uh, what's your thoughts around what's going on with Facebook now and the rebranding of uh, into Meta? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I'm quite conflicted. I must be honest. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really difficult. So so Facebook as an organization. Um, I don't think they actually had a choice in terms of uh, the, the rebranding, right? I don't think that the the place they find themselves as an organization in our in our world 
um, allowed them to continue operating as Facebook. We know that Facebook or the old Facebook had many challenges and, and three, three of them were really around uh, how they get new revenue. Um, and effectively, you know, they went through a long period before they started monetizing the platform where they try to remain pure to the intent of connecting people, but at some point it needed to make financial sense. So they, they struggle with, with new revenue and where that's going to come from. Um, the other big challenge that the old Facebook faces is, is content, right? Problem content. The world that we live in and the mission that they, uh, the, that, they, uh, that they talk about all the time about making the world more open and connected in its very nature allows for, you know, the propagation of, of, of free speech, which creates um, a huge challenge. And as far as content is concerned and the, and the issue of solving that is massive. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's multifaceted and it's really, really complex. Um, and then the third, you know, challenge that old Facebook faces is, is really regulatory issues. And they've had a plethora of these to deal with privacy, uh, privacy related infractions, uh, political advertising, you know, uh, content moderation, all those, all those major, major regulatory issues um, make it very difficult. So, so if you think about the old Facebook, you know, nobody would have probably known that when they started on this journey, on this mission to, you know, connect the world. But, um, you know, being a first mover in, in, in technology, um, you're going to experience things for the first time. And now this rebrand to, to Meta, does, does it solve the problem? Well, yes and no. Um, yes, because you know, I suppose now they have the advantage of hindsight. Um, and hindsight, uh, you know, is, as they say, is, is, is perfect vision. And hopefully that means that they can learn from the challenges that they've experienced with regards to commercialization, their product philosophies, um, and all the things that they've kind of come up with as huge, huge issues um, when they were operating as old Facebook. Um, so, so hopefully that, that can be advantageous. But, but no, because, well, it could be seen as an exercise of just putting lipstick on a pig, right? Mm. If you think about has the core organization really transformed? And that for me is a big question because if that hasn't happened, then what is fundamentally going to be different? So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm extremely conflicted at this point, Audrey, but um, I do think they, they really didn't have a choice. They needed to do something. Um, and uh, and I think time will tell uh, at this stage. No, thank you for summarizing your perspective so well. I think it encapsulates a lot of the conflicted uh, thoughts that many of us have um, in the industry. I mean, we, we are talking about what's going to happen in the future, which is why we are here today to talk about trends and how is this impacting marketers in 2022 as we move into the planning phase. Looking at the current environment, what are, what is going on and, and what are some of the challenges marketers are being faced with? Yeah, so I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a, huge, um, a huge shift on a number of fronts. Um, and when I think about marketers in our current, uh, our current context, um, they've really had to step up to the plate on, uh, on being able to show up and deliver value um, in this kind of new context of, of COVID-19 and low-touch economies, ETC. The role of the marketer for me has become even more important because if you think about the executives around the table, they're probably the closest ones to having um, the ability to exercise more creativity in the way they approach solving business problems. So I think for me, there's four key things um, that uh, that most marketers will be facing as huge challenges. And the first is um, designing a value propositions, be it products or services um, that fundamentally do good. Right. So at the core of being able to transform ourselves into organizations with, with massive uh, purpose at our core, uh, marketers have the huge challenge of trying to take these journeys, uh, these organizations on a journey 
to, to designing value and products um, that do good. And do what does do good mean? It means that as a member of society, your business and your enterprise um, has, has a reduced impact on the environment and creates a net positive effect for all stakeholders, right? That is a huge, huge challenge. And I think uh, marketers are at the helm of being able to manage and help organizations to do that. The second uh, huge challenge is, is responsible conversations, right? There's, um, there's obviously the shifts from a technology perspective. There's excitement about AI and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, AI will not fix everything, right? And marketers are, um, are instrumental in having a responsible conversation around the role of technology within organizations and giving them context of how technology is working outside of organizations, Right, so this notion around leading responsible conversations um, is is something that previously wasn't necessarily a responsibility of, of a marketer, but I think it really has become a challenge that we need to take up. Um, the third thing I think is where we're going to try and find growth from, where we're going to try and find uh, new opportunities, and that's going to come from either developing markets or underserviced markets. And so, for me, the, the third huge, huge challenge that marketers face is how do you shift your attention and focus and energy uh, to build a deep and a, a, and a resonating respect for new uh, markets as well as underdeveloped economies, right? So a lot of companies are going to struggle to find growth in, in developed markets. Um, and so you're going to have to mine and, and think cleverly and box clever um, with either markets and or environments where you don't have consumers that are far advanced, that don't have uh, access to you know to 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 the commercial capital or access to 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 the funds or uh, um, or, or excess budgets that are required to to buy products or service, but that's where growth is going to come from. So as a marketer, the question really is how how much are we spending time developing a degree of of respect for these developing markets and these excluded markets, and also developing products for them. Uh, and then the last thing I think in general, as I mentioned previously. Uh, you know, marketers have been slowly crawling back to the decision-making table and having strategic conversations. And uh, I've been really encouraged in the last couple of months of seeing some really amazing, amazing marketers in South Africa being appointed into, you know, really big blue chip and uh, JC listed companies. Um, and marketers that I've got a lot of respect for, marketers who can hold a commercial conversation as well as uh, be able to hold an inverted commerce traditional marketing conversation. So the last most important uh, change is having the harder conversations that, uh, that straddle uh, functionality, that straddle um, uh, areas of the business, that straddle uh, philosophies. And, and marketers really, because of our ability or our disposition towards creativity, are best placed to have some of these conversations. Conversations that may not have conclusions, um, but are exploratory in nature. Conversations that open up new ways of thinking, like a contrarian approach to a business model. You know, those conversations are really important that marketers step up to be able to have and lead. So, so for me, those are the four things. Designing uh, value products that, that fundamentally do good, um, having responsible conversations in, in guiding, you know, thinking around technology in the business as well as outside the business, um, developing a high degree of respect for excluded markets as well as developing markets, and then and then leading the the complex conversation. So that for me are kind of the changes that the marketers face. Okay, so I just want to to ask you a question in terms of where does so if you look at the the fundamentals of where marketing is also positioned at, it's tech, data, analytics, and I mean data being such a critical component, especially with 
regulation and POPIA coming into play this year. How do you see that impacting um, digital or the internet? Yeah, so there'll be a couple of, of uh, there'll be a couple of different uh, reverberations, for lack of a better word, when it comes to, to data and its impacts on marketing. Um, the first is, I think, the the entry level requirement for brands and organizations to get the value out of data-driven marketing is going to go up, right? So with the standardization of GDPR, POP, ETC, um, hopefully a rising tide will lift all boats and we'll start to think much more responsibly about how we're using data. The second reverberation is that organizations that will be able to ultimately get the best out of out of data will be those that have taken you know, the time to do the, the, the groundwork, right? So data isn't just all of a sudden something that is valuable. It's something that requires you to go through the pain of being able to get your internal infrastructure aligned correctly. So where is your data housed? What is the integrity of that data? How do your data lakes integrate ETC? So there's some very core infrastructural things that need to be in place be- before you can get the value. Uh, the second level is once that is in place, then you can start to you know get the automation and the artificial intelligence and you know kind of being able to draw insight out of that data um, which i still believe should be the intersection of, of of what machines do really well as well as human insight um, but what becomes important is i i believe that if the if the theory that data is the new oil um, holds true um, then we also must appreciate that there's a huge potential for a great divide Right. So if there's if there's uh, if there's this much of value um, uh, allocated to what data can and will do in the future, uh, much the same as gold or, or currency had in the past, um, there's a massive, massive risk that there will be the great data divide between those that get the value and, and know how to use it and those that just don't. Um, and so we need to also fully understand some of those implications because it's very easy to create almost a scenario of the haves and the haves nots when it comes to the value that gets derived from data. So I think there are quite a few things to think about when it comes to, to data. The net effect for marketing is that it should make a marketing a lot more nuanced, a lot more targeted uh, and, and far more responsible. Um, and I think for most marketers, the breath of fresh air is that it also allows us to be a lot more measured with uh, with quantifying our investment from a, from a return on investment perspective. So um, I think, you know, implemented correctly, um, data can really help us to, to, to move the discipline of marketing forward. Um, but it requires us to think very cleverly um, and very you know, in a disciplined way about what needs to be in place before that happens. Yeah, I completely agree. So what is the role of, I mean, you come from a... Uh almost like a 360 agency uh, world. What is your view in terms of how partners uh, and their role and responsibility with regards to data? Partners, and then you mean partners in the sense of, uh, you know, either other agencies or companies that we work with in our ecosystem, I assume? Yes, yes. So if you look at brands and their partners like media, creative, all of that. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so I think, you know, it's, uh, we live in an age now where, I think, you know, generally the center of the ecosystem that is an agency uh, revolves around big brands and, and leaders within big brands. So um, the, the orchestrators of value um, are actually the brand managers and the executives that sit in these big companies. So the first thing is that we need to have a better degree of marketing leadership to be able to coordinate the ecosystem of relationships, right? 
Um, agencies, by their very design, um, are required to derive value um, from being able to work with a client directly, but more importantly, are now required to co-create value by working with other partners within the ecosystem. The important thing is that we are we're clear uh, from a from a from a from a value perspective what each partner brings to the table, and uh, the the challenging thing with getting to this clarity is most agencies and most partners are all going on a journey where at some stage, you know, it was uh, it was good and well to have you know specific niche expertise, but slowly but surely expertise is starting to kind of overlap, and so many agencies may have a core value offering. Um, but what is happening is that in the periphery or in the fringes of their business, they're starting to develop other skills and other capabilities, which will tend to overlap with, with other agencies, especially when they're dealing with the bigger brands and the bigger businesses. So there is some discipline and, and respect that is required for, for that relationship to remain um, intact and for it to remain in balance. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, we operate in a value-driven world. And I see sometimes that, that, you know, that those relationships get challenged. Um, based on certain, you know, agencies or value partners being able to advance um, understanding of new products and services far better than others, right? So, you know, traditionally, when you think about agencies that were above the line and that have had to come on a journey to, you know, to understand the new world of digital and technology, um, it's taken them time to do that. Whereas if you think about the ones that were started, you know, fairly recently that get that off the bat, um, they're able to obviously create value together but both of them are solving on trying to get more, you know, more, 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 more part of the pie, for lack of a better word, which is where sometimes the overlap uh, becomes becomes challenging. So, so I think really that the role of of, of marketing leaders uh, in that respect becomes more important, because allowing um, the ecosystem itself to benefit from all the players is really important. But being able to manage some of those lines um, also allows for for respectful engagement. Uh, and I think when that is in place, the collaboration and the the output generally is much higher and is definitely of a of a global standard from from the experience that I've had. Yeah, so there's two areas that I want to touch on from what you said because you mentioned value quite a bit, um, and it's this new buzzword of value exchange. So value exchange in data, value exchange with partners, value exchange with consumers, and value exchange across cross-functional teams within larger enterprises. What's your view on value exchange? Yeah, so, so yeah, you, you're right. I think it, it is a buzzword. And, and the way in my mind I try to, I try to rationalize it um, is for me, value is all things considered, what is the net effect, right? And all things considered means taking into consideration where we are as a business, what we're trying to achieve, who are working with ETC, and those variables will change. Um, what is the net effect? The net effect might be that I feel like I'm in a better position or I'm in a worse position. And if I'm in a net positive position, then I'm then I'm getting sufficient value. If I'm in a net negative position, I'm not getting as much value. And where it aligns is when two partners or an ecosystem of partners all feel that they're in a net positive position by engaging in whatever it may be, be it a project or relationship. So so for me, value is defined by uh, partners and uh, the proximity to the problem or the project that they're working on and, and the net value that they feel that they derive. Because if that uh, goes out of kilter, um, that's when there's generally a feeling that no value is being you know, either derived from the, from the engagement or um, some parties or some partners in the equation feel like they may be contributing a lot more than they're actually getting. So the balance of that is really, really important. Um, and for everybody to feel as though they've, you know, they're getting in as much as they're giving. 
Okay, cool. So you also mentioned that we need um, we need leaders that actually understand what's going on with this new environment. But do you believe that we need a new breed of talent with new skill set? Because I am observing in the market that we're recycling people. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, even at a um, agency level, we we can't have people that are just, for example, campaign managers anymore. We need people that looks uh, have a holistic understanding across the ecosystem that understands the customer journey, that understands the role of media versus the role of creative. How? how what is your perspective on uh, you know the skill set, the capability, the strategic understanding? marrying it back to the goals that are set up by brand or advertisers. Yeah, so I think that's yeah, that's quite close to my heart and and I do agree with you. One of my uh one of my pain points is I think we are terrible um at developing and creating uh, capability within the agency space, right? So and it's it's very sad for me because I think it's a made it's an opportunity given the statistics of unemployment in our country. Um, and given the discipline that is required to be deliberate about developing people, so what tends to happen as an as an as an outcome is, to your point, we end up recycling the same resources, the same talents, uh, and we tend to just default to the people that we have worked with over the last ten years, or whatever it may be. Part of it is risk management, and you know, yes, obviously you engage with a particular person because you know they've delivered before, but I think a part of it is just being lazy, right? Because uh, capability building is is a verb it's a it's a very very strong verb it means that it's not going to be easy in the beginning identifying uh even you know talented people identifying young people that can come into the system and then working with them in a deliberate way over time to turn them into uh into assets of value for 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 the for the industry as a whole and, and hopefully for your business so i think that we've been very lazy at doing that and we've tried our best and we and we'll continue to try our best um to provide those opportunities such that we don't create um, a point of uh, of of, uh, of, uh, of discussion around uh, people and talent um, that we need to be able to solve problems of the future. So skills empowerment is a major challenge. The system in which we bring a lot of new talent into is uh, is typically quite uh, mature, um, mature in the sense that it, it the cogs of the wheel know exactly how to interact. And for people who don't know how the cogs of the wheel work, um, they they tend to get uh, spat out of the system quite quickly. Um, and that's because our efforts are not deliberate around bringing young people into the environment and making sure that they've got a reasonable chance of succeeding um, in that context. Mindset is also a huge issue when I think about mm. people, right? Um, and mindset in South Africa, unfortunately, is rooted in our education system um, and is not getting any better. But uh, what I am seeing from a, from some technologies that are that are kind of starting to create a much easier way to train. Uh, young people, giving them access to content and information. Um, there are some technologies that are starting to help to close that gap. But for me, the core of it is, you know, you can be exposed to as much, you know, information and content as, you know, as is available. There really is a job to be done in training people how to think and how to add value. And when I say think, it means the, you know, the art of problem solving. And sometimes it comes natural to people and oftentimes it doesn't. Um, and what I think would be great if I, if I look at, you know, people and the development of people is if we started spending a lot more time teaching people how to think, um, and we tend to 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 over-index on 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 giving them a lot of information on how to do, 
um, which I think is part of, of the of of of, uh, of the development process. But really upping the ante on teaching people how to think for me is a major opportunity. Um, I also think you know if we consider the skill sets that are required of the future, it's, you know, the data has been published. It's widely available. It's no secret. And that creativity is going to be one of the uh, real unlockers of future value um, in the world that we're going into and the fourth industrial revolution. Um, creativity remains one of the key things that's going to be driving solutions that are developed, um, as well as um, economies and new businesses and new sectors of the future. So if we can teach people how to think and to think creatively, I think it really helps us to close the gap. Um, I think that's a more uh, reasonable way of expecting us to see the outcomes that we always put, um, you know, as, as big hairy goals that we have in our business plans and bringing that closer to the reality of, the, of, of what happens on the ground. So, so yeah, it's, it, it really is a challenge. And uh, I think agencies should take up the mantle uh, because we are not doing ourselves any favor by not creating that capacity um, and uh, the over-reliance on the ones who've done it and the tried and tested. Um, is, a, is really a big, uh, a big um, what do they call this, a, a hurdle um, and something that we have to think about collectively to solve. No, for sure. So it's quite funny that you say we need to teach people how to think. But it's true. It's so true because it's your mindset and it's also applying design thinking, uh, creative thinking, and then also opening your mind to being more curious um, so it all has to do with the mindset because even if you have the skill set, how you apply it is a different matter altogether. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I want to move into wall gardens and I know that's another passion point for you. And as we see, um, you know, the future implications with third party cookies, we will see wall gardens, you know, having more power and more, um, uh, spend in terms of you know budget allocations because a recent study uh, from a recent study we've seen that 60% of ad spend goes into wall gardens but consumers are only spending 34% of their time there so what's your view on you know what's happening in wall gardens what do advertisers need to do in 2022 in terms of how they um split their budgets and invest in, in uh, on digital platforms. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great, uh, great conversation and great question to be had because I suppose, you know, if we look at the traditional definition of a walled garden, um, you know, it, it's, it's ultimately a, a closed ecosystem, right? Um, a closed ecosystem that is uh, fueled by technology um, but that gives a, a fair amount of control and visibility uh, to advertisers, right? And advertisers are being responsible for budgets, are looking for places where they feel they can deploy their investments in a responsible um, and transparent way, right? And that's the value that World Gardens have created for advertisers. Um, in so doing and in focusing on advertisers as ultimately the people that are paying for the service, um, some walled gardens have uh, missed the opportunity of doubling down on what they should be solving for the consumer. And so the stat that you quoted regarding 60% of ads spent on walled gardens versus 35%, I think it was 35% of time, um, speaks to that, is that consumers are not necessarily all spending their time on walled gardens because walled gardens weren't uh, at some point either made a pivot to be solving the commercial problem versus solving the, the, the consumer problem. Um, now, what that what, what that means is that in certain instances, walled gardens can give you 
um, the ability to to tick a box around reach and frequency and and a certain degree of uh, stability in inverted commas. What they, what they won't give you necessarily um, is innovation. They won't give you new markets. I spoke earlier on about um, where we're going to fish for new opportunities in as far as finding new audiences um, in underserviced and or excluded markets traditionally. Uh, sometimes you don't get that value or that benefit from all the gardens. So marketers need to think about some of the objectives that they have in place for their brands and consider how that stacks up um, when they're deploying their investment into old gardens versus uh, deploying their uh, their inv- investments uh, everywhere. Uh, we do know that with, with walled gardens, there's also a lot of negativity that started to surface. Um, the notion that uh, value is, is uh, or the value exchange is paid to play, um, whereas the, the, orig- the, the founding thought and the originating idea behind uh, platforms in the social media space um, was supposed to be around organic uh, reach and organic uh, value creation for the people and the communities that you reach. So this notion of, of, of paying to play um, is something that, uh, that's left a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths, especially when you get down to medium to smaller enterprises uh, who sometimes just don't have the, the big budgets to compete. Uh, and therefore, their upside becomes limited by uh, the fact that they, don't, uh, they, they, they can't afford uh, to, to pay to play. Um, and then if we consider you know, World Gardens, a lot of them have done a lot of work in ensuring that they double down on being able to give you identity and, 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 and personal information, ETC. Um, but we, you know, we've also seen shifts from a Google perspective relating to, um, uh, to cookies and their philosophy uh, regarding uh, cookies. Um, and so even that, I think, is being challenged. They're, they're shifting to, uh, to, to the FLOC, uh, which is the Federated Learning of Courts, which is a more responsible way of accounting for identity without creating a feeling that you're infringing on people's rights. Um, and so walled gardens over time, you know, had to, they had to go deep and now they've almost it's kind of they've, they've come back full circle, right? So at some point, hyper identity and, and super personalization was, was kind of the name of the game. Um, and with all the challenges that are faced from a, a privacy related perspective, ETC, they've kind of had to almost uh, backtrack a little bit to say, well, rather than, you know, a hyper, hyper personalization, let's try and understand how uh, cohorts of people interact and engage. So I think that the old gardens themselves have got uh, challenges they, they, they're going to need to resolve. I don't see it as something that's going to be resolved in the short to medium term. I think it's going to be a long term um, and a slow burn to try and get it right, because uh, to be honest, they're still a big part of the world that uh, that requires them. But I definitely do see the shift that is uh, that has already taken place. And as far as uh, uh, open platforms that allow people to feel like they're a lot more in control um, and that they play a, a bigger role in deciding their um, their fate and their engagement with, with the platforms that they're on. So um, as consumers continually uh, become more woke or, um, you know, as they say uh, in colloquial language, become you know more woke, um, they will they will start appreciating uh, platforms that respect issues of privacy that start to give them as much power and control as possible over their data, um, etc. So, so I think it still has got a long way to to, to go before it plays out in its entirety. Um, but it's definitely one that needs to be watched very carefully by marketers. It's one that needs to be understood extremely well because when things start to shift and things start to change, um, you'll remember from 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 early on where I spoke about uh, marketers having to lead uh, some of these complex conversations. They really need to know exactly what's going on. Uh, with regards to some of these aspects. So whilst we're on the, the subject of platforms and wall gardens, I wanted to ask you, I, I mean, I've observed that consumers are now 
spending more time in terms of the customer experience staying on platform for example we spoke about growth and new markets but how do you enhance that experience to capture that lead while the customer is on the platform that's you know that they're currently on versus um uh taking them into another platform like your own platforms you know your website your your app so i'm seeing that uh, consumers are staying and spending more time on those platforms and in between platforms um so having that uh, mentality of silo platforms needs to change and looking at the consumer letting it be data driven it becomes important but what is the importance or contribution of own platforms into the equation yeah i th- i think own platforms still still play a significant role um w- what i think is important is that we 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 consider and we build out um you know attribution models to understand the extent to which they play a role in the final decision right so i don't think it's a it's a matter of one or the other i think it's it's understanding the role that they play in a typical attribution model um you may find that in particular sectors or particular industries classic case in point uh, e-commerce um the role of of an owned platform is is far more pronounced um than potentially a service business as an example um and so that can only be determined once you've been able to build out a model or attribution model that gives you an understanding of the waiting along a user journey that that customers or clients typically spend um and with that it can allow you to understand how you either dial up dial down or 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 uh, or uh, upgrade your your uh, your owned platforms um i really don't think it can be applied as a one size fits all um i think the nuance of thinking about you know e- even from a service to a product business there may be differences so i think it's really important to think about it at that level um in order for us to get the insight on 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 articulating the role that our own platforms play um for us because it may differ from sector to sector and from industry to industry as well yeah i agree because you know i think the one thing we need to note that the customer journey is nonlinear and then two is that we need to adopt a hybrid a blended approach uh where we cater for both scenarios uh because then we we bringing in um social commerce api integrations because you mentioned attribution proper analytics tools doesn't have to be an expensive investment but starting Absolutely. with transparency is critical and then i think also democratization of data within organizations because those types of things were just like once off report so you need to actually be in the know um and and if you're optimizing on your investment you need to actually have a daily weekly view of what's going on in that environment um so many marketers are still spending um they they investment but without understanding what is the value back what is the ROI what is a proxy for measurement of success and if those marketers are still actually using media as a proxy of success then i would say that is a huge issue absolutely um and and i mean you've summarized it extremely well because the complexity of understanding some of these shifts and the impact that it has on some of your spending decisions is is something that has to be considered quite carefully 
Um, and also, you know, the, the other view is the, the, the rapid uh, creation of new platforms and new opportunities, right? And, and so, you know, you need to balance that out with how much are you investing, you know, from a lack of a better word, you know, more traditionally, how much are you investing it in kind of, kind of current technology and how much of that are you investing in, in newer technology? Um, and even as you plan for budgets, there may be different splits along which you split, you know, you, you split that investment. So I do think, uh, you know, that approach also allows you to, to mitigate some future risk. Um, you know, at some stage, you know, as you know, you know, certain brands weren't even on Facebook uh, because they relied entirely on, on traditional platforms and slowly but surely that's shifted. So uh, the learning from that is there must be a percentage allocation um, on, on almost the innovative platforms that may or may not work. But it uh, it requires us to be present for us to understand if it creates value for us or not. What's your view on how you would define innovation for marketing just out of interest? Innovation for marketing. So, so I think if I'm to be a bit of a fundamentalist in, answer, in answering your question, uh, the, the role of marketing for me is, 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 is there the are two levers. The first is getting people who don't know about you to know and buy from you. The second is getting those who know about you to, to buy or to engage more with you, right? Um, and and for me, if innovation can be considered in those two those two uh, uh, those two levers, um, it would mean that for the customers that you engage with that love you that are you know advocates etc, um, the innovation would really come through how we are able to continue to develop um, a relationship, maintain it, and increase the brand love over time. Um, you know, brands that have done this extremely well, like the Coca Colas of the world, um, have been able to hold people's imagination and continually build on a brand promise that they've been able to etch into our hearts with great, great success. Um, and they've done that through innovation, right? Um, the products that they launch, the things that they talk about, the things that they say. Um, on the first track, which is all about getting people to, to love you more and purchase more, I think you know, that's, that's the first track along which we innovate. Uh, the, the second track along which we innovate is you know, for, for people who know nothing about us, how do we how do we capture people's attention in a responsible way and use that as an opportunity or as a springboard to bring them into this this conversation or this notion of love? So for me, innovation from a marketing perspective really is is using those two levers um, at their core and then the activities that inform those levers that allow you to know that you're, you're making it work. Yeah, I agree that innovation comes in different shapes and forms. Um, just to kind of close off this conversation, in terms of 2022, why is it so important now more than ever for marketers to actually consider their digital transformation journey or maturity levels? Yeah, I think it's it's yeah it's a, it's a great uh, it's a it's a great opportunity. I think we're at that inflection point in, in the history of society, to be quite honest. Um, you know, COVID-19 and all that's happened to all of us in the last 18 to 24 months um, has forced all of us to think very differently about uh, about everything. And so for marketers, really, the, the notion around reinvention is trying to double down on how, how well you're able to implement new knowledge, how well you're able to onboard new understanding and turn that into productivity for yourself. Right, the context that we're in, we all know has shifted. The consumers that we all love and and and, and revere have all changed. Um, so, so the rules of engagement are very, very different. Uh, the second thing is to to spend a lot of time in your in your mental state as a marketer, because I believe that there are certain people that are you know, especially in the marketing space, or that are kind of waiting for things to normalize, 
right? So, you know, I get the sense that there's still an, a level of apprehension around ah, things will at some point go back to the way they used to be. And when they go back to the way they used to be, then I'll start doing what I need to do. Um, and my, you know, my, my, my real encouragement is that we need to think about our mental resolve in the way we're approaching that paradigm because it's going to take us 20 years back because in the interim, those organizations and the marketers that have fully embraced it and are moving forward uh, will be creating strategic modes that will be really difficult for you to get over. So, so I, I think the opportunity that's been created really is for us to relook um, at everything um, and whether that means you know, we're we, we starting from scratch or we blue sky thinking around bringing um, you know, older or more uh, conventional business models on the journey, I don't think it's an opportunity we should miss uh, because it's the right time to have different conversations and people will have an appetite. It's the right time to put different products on the table and people will have an appetite. So it's kind of a, a world right now where anything kind of goes. Um, and that's a big opportunity. If you think about just you know, a year, two, three years ago, you know, anything didn't go. Uh, and it made it in- exceedingly difficult to do new things. So I think that opportunity is one that uh, we should embrace and uh, don't take that for granted. It's not often that happens in, in anyone's lifetime that anything is, you know, anything can be discussed and anything is a go. So, so let's take advantage of that. Absolutely. I think it's, I agree with you, it's an exciting time for marketers to design a new future. And I would suggest, you know, uh, disrupting it with a completely new model, uh, because we can't actually continue from where we left off. But uh, Musa, so in closing, what are the three critical pieces of advice that you would give to marketers as they move into 2022? So the first is, I think, uh, probably an internal view. So you need to be quite self-reflective, not critical, but self-reflective of yourself as a marketer. Um, We've seen the trend of late of uh, the great resignation, which is a lot of people in senior positions um, effectively saying, you know, actually, I'm done. I'm going to try something different. So I'm a a marketing director at Organization X. I've gone through this, you know, crazy change in uh, COVID-19. I'm working from home and Wow, I'm all of a sudden I'm, I'm passionate about uh, about cooking, so I'm going to become a chef. So, so I'd, I'd, I'd advise that marketers, you know, introspect quite deeply about uh, how they feel about their uh, their profession, um, their level of passion and alignment to the organizations that they're in. I think that's a very important thing. Um, if you if you feel that there's a disconnect and you're not aligned and you're not passionate, everything else really is is not is not important. Um, so, so number one, a deep process of, of self-reflection as, uh, as, as a person and a professional. Um, the second thing is I'd go through a process where I'd, 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 I'd have a very contrarian approach to, to my plans and my strategy for the next year. And when I say contrarian, it means that you know, you, you'll either be right or wrong in all your decisions or you'll be you know, part of the herd or a, a lone ranger in all your decisions. And really where you get supernatural value, 10x value is where you are right about the decision and you are a lone ranger. And so think about the plans that you have, but try and apply a contrarian lens. Try and think about the things that, you know, and it's, it's really difficult to do because often um, some of this stuff is determined by category or sector or industry, but try and think about, you know, how you can do things in, in a way that you are um, creating value that people didn't really think about and c- connecting unrelated dots. You know, that's really what, what creativity is about. So, so the second thing is apply a contrarian approach to your planning and your strategy. Um, the third thing is, uh, is invest in wh- wherever you may find yourself from a digital transformation perspective, uh, is invest in ensuring that you're measuring it on a quarter to quarter or a month to month basis. So if we are not measuring our advances from a transformation perspective, we're not going to be able to do it. 
So if you are committed, you know, as 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 Peter Peter Drucker says, um, you know, what what we what we don't measure, we can't manage. Um, ensure that you're measuring the digital transformation uh, wins that you're having. Um, the small, the smaller, uh, the small victories that you may experience, the ability to have implemented a, a, an interesting project. So make sure those are being measured, um, because as you start to gain confidence, it will accelerate your success. Uh, so those are the three things that I would leave it as advice. Uh, yeah, I definitely love your words of wisdom. Musa, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, and I wish you all the best for the holidays. Thank you so much. It was fantastic. I had a good time, and uh, yes, we're excited about 2022, and I hope everybody else is as well. Yes, thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, Audrey. Okay, Cheers. bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow our Instagram handle at TalkDigitalZA. Engage us on our website at TalkDigitalZA.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.